This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. The Born Identity. It was the first in a five-part action-packed movie series that is guaranteed to have you on the edge of your seats. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I can attest to the fact that this movie series is binge-worthy. As the title states, this movie is all about identity, about a guy with some very special skills and the incredible series of crazy events that he goes through, literally challenging the, traveling the world to find out his identity, who he truly is. Identity. It was huge for Jason Bourne. It's important to all of us. In fact, there's been countless movies, books, and music that have been created speaking to our quest as mankind to find out and know who we really are. Speaking of identity, some of you may not know who I am, so let me introduce myself. I'm Philip Moore. I'm executive pastor here at the Ark, and it's been my honor to do that for the last 16 years. And it's a privilege to share with you this morning. My wife, Ellen, who you just met uh, doing stewardship, she's sitting here on the front row, we have two grown children. Josh is a police officer here in Conroe, and he's married to Kennedy. She's a teacher at Conroe ISD. And our daughter, Megan, she's also on the front row. She is also a teacher at Conroe ISD. Now, to those of you who do know me, I'm going to share something with you this morning that just may surprise you. I love music, and I have a highly diverse taste in music. I mean, highly diverse is a huge understatement. If you were to look at my playlist or my Pandora stations, you would find everything from Alan Jackson and Kenny Chesney to Glenn Miller. You'd find Chris Tomlin all the way to James Taylor, Elevation Worship to Phil Collins, and Coldplay all the way over here to Leonard Skinner and Boston. All right? But I have to say, in my humble but accurate opinion, real music, the best music came out of the 70s. Amen. All right? It was the 70s that produced one of the most iconic songs on this topic of identity. And it was, oddly enough, it was performed by a group called The Who. We're going to do a little bit of a test this morning and see if you, your, your music aptitude. Raise your hands if you recognize this song. Go ahead, guys. Turn it up a little bit. There we go. All right. All right, how about now? Okay. All right, wait for it. It's coming. Ready? Here it is. Okay, now you're getting it. All right, to be honest, how many of you think that's the theme song to CSI Miami? <laughs> it's actually Who Are You, and it was composed by Pete Townsend, and it was the title track off of the Who's 1978 album. Now, I can't condone the message of that song, but it does ask a question repeatedly, over 40 times throughout this, the song. Who are you? And that's the title of my talk this morning. One of the most important questions that you and I could ever ask and especially answer. Who are you? As humans, we love finding out about ourselves. We'll go to great lengths to do so. 
maybe not as drastic or as dramatic as Jason Bourne, but we'll take all kinds of measures to find out who we really are. Take, for example, personality tests. They're a growing phenomenon in our culture, and they now come in all shapes and all sizes. I mean, there's birds, colors, animals, numbers, charts, graphs, you name it. There's stuff out there you can find out about your personality. There's also DNA testing. A $3 billion market in 2019, it is expected to explode in the coming years. And there's all kinds of stories about people getting more than what they paid for in researching their family tree. Take, for example, a guy named Jordan Adler Rogers. He's a 31-year-old financially struggling social worker in England. He recently inherited a $60 million sprawling estate in Cornwall after a DNA test revealed that he was the sole heir of the 1,500-acre property. Talk about a game-changing DNA test. Knowing who we are is critically important because it shapes how we view ourselves. It also shapes how we view others and how they view us, and it shapes how we face and we deal with life. So I'm going to ask you one single all-important question today. Who are you? I wasn't able to articulate it at the time, but this was the burning question that I find my, I found myself asking when I was in college. You see, I went to college to become a doctor. I wanted to become an anesthesiologist. Yes, I wanted to put people to sleep for a living. And I know it could be argued that I'm doing the same thing right now through my preaching, so just hang in there. Wake up. That's not my job, okay? College chemistry quickly changed my short-lived medical dreams, and I shifted over to business administration instead. And now I wanted to climb the corporate ladder. I wanted to get that corner office, and I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I had my life all mapped out and what I wanted to do. I wanted a two-story house, a white picket fence. I wanted two kids, two dogs, two cars. I did narrow it down to one wife. <laughs> it all sounded and it looked great. But the problem was I had never included God. I'd never asked him what he wanted from my life or really where he fit in. I mean, I figured I had it all, I'd get it all planned out, and if I needed God's help, then I could ask. You see, I was more focused on what I did than who I was or who I was becoming. Between my second and third year of college, I found myself really searching. I found my, in my own way, I was asking this question, who am I? Finally, in October of 1985, I finally got it right. I finally asked the right question to the right person. I said, okay, God, will you please show me who I am and your plans for my life. I had no idea the impact of that prayer. A few short months later, I found myself in Lausanne, Switzerland, attending a six-month school with a youth missions organization called Youth with a Mission, also known as YWAM. There were 70 of us from all over the world in that school. And for three months, we studied in Switzerland our faith in depth and how to live it. And then for the next three months, we traveled throughout Southern and Eastern Europe and the Middle East, sharing our faith with others. These six months opened my eyes to a much bigger God in relationship with him and this world and my unique place in it. You see, asking and seeking 
the answer to this one question, who are you, proved to be literally a life-changing action for me in every sense of the phrase. Now, I want to ask you to drop a pin right here in this conversation. We're going to come back to this later. Now, I can imagine your response so far in my talk falls into one of two camps. One, you're thinking, I totally can identify with what you're saying, Philip. Would you please carry on? Or you're over here, you're saying, that's all well and good for a young guy in his 20s trying to figure out life, but I'm well beyond that stage. What has this got to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Here's what I've discovered a few years now beyond my 20s. Figuring out who we are is not limited to the young. And it's not a one-time, a one-and-done type event. In fact, I believe that knowing who we are is a lifelong pursuit, one that has a significant impact on all aspects of our lives. Mankind's quest to know who we are, it dates back to the beginning, back to biblical times. And thankfully, it's from Scripture that we find a fantastic example of how to answer and how to approach this age-old question. In the book of John, John the Baptist, he was directly asked the question, who are you? Let's look at how he responds in John chapter 1. This is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed truthfully, and he did not deny that he was only a man, but acknowledged, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. Then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the promised prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Tell us so that we may give an account and answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize only in water, but among you there stands one who you do not recognize and of whom you know nothing. It is he, the preeminent one, who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, even as a slave. You see, John's ministry is growing. His popularity is expanding. And right here in this passage, he gets cornered by some very religious people. And I think there's four things that we can note from John's response to them. Number one, he had a humble, accurate, and confident response. He knew who he was. John had already taken the time. He had already invested the energy. He had sought the Lord to settle in his heart and in his head who he was and who he wasn't. As a result, when he was asked, well, rather pressed by those around him, number two, he didn't allow others to define him. He wasn't swayed by others' thoughts or, or opinions. He wasn't tracking the latest polls, and he wasn't following his Facebook page or Instagram looking for likes. He wasn't giving in to their expectations. Instead, look at this. Number three, he based his answer on Scripture. He referenced directly Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. It says, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the desert. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This is a great practice for us to develop in all of life. 
I mean, if we have a big decision to make, we need to get a scripture. We need healing in our body. We need to get a scripture. We have a huge decisions that we're making, huge challenges that we're facing. We need to get a scripture. The in-laws are coming to visit. We... My mother-in-law's on the front row. <laughs> to know who we are, we can and we should base our answer on Scripture. John based his answer on Scripture, which led him to number four. He defined himself in relationship to Christ. In his answer, John was basically saying, I am only the warm-up act here, people. The main attraction is Christ. He's the one that this is all about. You see, John defined his life by and in Christ. Christ wasn't an add-on for him. Christ wasn't a tagline for him. Christ was first and foremost in his life, at the very core of John's purpose and his existence. Which brings us to the application. How does all this boil down and impact our lives? I mean, knowing who we are, What difference does it really make? Well, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've seen in my life. Hear this. Who I am is more important than what I do. Here's the rest of the story. Go back to that pin drop. At the end of my time with YWAM, I felt the Lord direct me to go back to business school, to finish my undergraduate degree, and to get my MBA. And as I did, he said he would use me in full-time ministry. Now, you have to keep in mind that back then, yes, there was electricity, but there wasn't the big churches like the Ark, and there, I'd never heard of a role called the executive pastor. But I can tell you now, 33 years in, God has been so incredibly faithful to lead me each and every step of the way in what to do as my focus stayed on who I am. Take a look at this scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom, his righteousness, which is defined as his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And if we do these things, this verse says it comes with a promise. It says, and all these things will be given to you also. What I have learned is when we focus on God and who we are first, we can trust him with what to do and everything else. And I'm telling you from experience, his blessings will definitely follow. You see, it was through my YWAM experience that I re-met Ellen. We met for the first time when we were eight and 10 years old, and that's another story for another time. But we ended up getting married, and apart from saying yes to Jesus, that was the most important decision of my life, and this past December, we celebrated 30 years. Yeah. They're clapping for you, by the way. (laughs) Knowing who I am was a quest that started for me back in college, and it continues to this day. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still discovering more of who I am, which brings us to the key point. If you don't get anything else in my talk today, please get this, because here it is. Here's the answer to the question, who are you? Are you ready? You are who God says you are. I'm going to say that again. You are who God says that you are. Pastor Allen stood on this platform a few weeks ago, and he made this statement. 
He said, we have a revelation of what God has done and what he's provided for us in the scriptures, who he says we are. Therefore, pastor said, we have the ability to say what God says about us. Here's just some of who God says that we are. He says we're loved, chosen, and valued. He says we're blessed, forgiven, and set free. He says that we're redeemed, healed, and whole. He says that we're strong, we're confident, we're a new creation. He says that we are a child of God. And here's the deal. What he says and who he says we are is the first and the last word on the subject. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, Philip, those are nice words and great thoughts, and actually it's a pretty decent sermon, but you don't know what I've been going through or what I'm facing right now. And besides, I've heard this before. Well, I want to submit to you this morning that there is a difference between hearing and knowing God's Word. Allow me to illustrate. All of us have an incredible resource that's available to us. It helps us to connect in our relationships. It's a place that we go to for answers. It's a wealth of information. Of us, we use it daily. And we can, at times, we can feel lost without it. It's arguably one of the most valuable possessions that we have. I'm referring, of course, to our cell phone. Think about it with me. Think about all the messages pictures, contacts, passcodes, to all that important data that you have on there. Not to mention the powerful technology that we have and the access we have literally to the world right here in the palm of our hand. So just imagine, you have your phone, it's turned on, the battery is full, the service and the connection, they're great. But you decide not to use it. Now, I just lost some of you right there, so I'm going to say it's okay. Hang in there with me. This is only an illustration, and nobody's going to get hurt, okay? You decide not to use it. You decide not to tap into or take advantage of the incredible resource right here in your hand. You decide simply to carry it around with you throughout the course of the day and just leave it in your pocket. As you go through the course of your day, some of the scenarios that you may run into might sound something like this. Let's say you want to check in with the kids after they get home from school. You think, I guess I'll just send them a fax later. You're running late for that important meeting. You think, that's not, not to worry, I can just find one of the two payphones left in our county and stop and give them a call. Or how about this, you want to research that quick answer to something that you're needing. You think, I know, I'll just get in my car, drive over to the library, and I'll browse the Dewey Decimal System. Or how about this? You can't remember the address to that very critical job interview that you're going to, and you think, oh, not, not, not to worry, no big deal. I can just look it up in the phone book, and I'll stop at one of the gas stations along the way and ask them for directions on how to get there. I mean, that's all crazy talk, isn't it? Right? I know. Yet, how often... Are we guilty of doing the same thing in our relationship with the Lord? I mean, we know him. The relationship is good. We're connected. We have this incredible resource of his words to us in the Bible available to us, and yet we don't tap into or apply any of it. It's like God says who we are, but we're walking around like we aren't. And folks, to me, that's the crazy talk. 
A few months ago, I felt myself challenged by the Lord in this very issue. You see, I wasn't exactly feeling forgiven or chosen. Instead, I kept looping mistakes and sins of the past over and over again, continually beating myself up over things that the Lord had already forgiven. That's when I felt challenged by this question. Who am I to say that I'm not when God says that I am? That's a good question. That's a good question for all of us. Because the reality is, whose word has more weight or more value in our lives? God's or mine? Joy Clayton made the statement a few weeks ago in our prayer time as a staff. She said, what you say sets a course for your life. So I would like to submit that in times of doubt, fear, insecurity, worry, as we navigate life, we need to watch what we say. We need to get our faith out of our pockets and into our lives. We need to know and apply who God says that we are. I mean, if we're sick, we need to say, I am healed. If we're depressed, we need to say, I am whole. If we're dealing with sins of the past, we need to say, I am forgiven. If we're weak or overwhelmed, we need to say, I am strong in the Lord. If we're feeling unloved or not valued, we need to say, I am chosen, I'm highly valued, and I am loved. If we're battling doubt, worry, or fear, we need to say, I am a child of God. We need to say, I am who he says I am, period. And I believe this. As we do, we'll grow to a place where we know it, where we say it, and where we live it. So here's the homework. Yes, I am assigning homework. For this next week, I want to challenge us to pray this prayer every morning. When we wake up before we get out of bed, take one minute, just one minute, and repeatedly pray this prayer. Father, thank you that I am who you say I am. Father, thank you that I am who you say I am. Father, thank you that I am who you say I am. And then for this next month, I'm going to ask you to take this bookmark that you're going to receive as, as you exit today. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your purse, your Bible. Post it on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your car, your workstation. Take a picture of it and put it as a screen on your phone or your computer. Whatever you can do to put these scriptures, these statements of who God says that you are in front of you daily. And I believe as we do, together, we'll make a growth step. We'll start taking God's word to us and putting it into action and not leaving it in our pockets. As we close, let me ask you this. What would it look like if you and I fully understood not just heard, but fully embraced and lived out who we are? What if we got it into our knower, as my dad put it, where it's not just head knowledge, but it's truth that we actively embrace and live by? What difference would that make in how we see ourselves and how we see God? How differently would we deal with the stuff of life? What would our marriages and relationships look like? What would our families look like? What would our church look like? What would our community look like? 
the who asked the question decades ago, who are you? But they offered no answers. However, Justin and the worship team are coming now to lead us in a song that absolutely nails the conversation, who you say I am. I'm going to ask you to please stand with us. Service isn't over, so please, nobody leaving or moving around. We're going to be out of here on time. I want to ask that we honor this time with the Lord. I want to encourage you to sing the words to this song from your heart and allow this truth to get into your knower that you are who God says you are. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we are who you say we are. Father, we're your children, and you are indeed for us and not against us. Father, thank you for the incredible freedom that that brings. Lord, help us to receive in our hearts the truth of your word about us. And Father, help us to apply that in a greater level in our lives. Father, I believe that as we do, Father, we're going to walk in a greater level of the fullness of all that you created us for. Amen. With your heads still bowed and your eyes still closed. You know, the best way that you can know who you really are begins with the decision to invite Christ into your life, to enter into a life-giving, a life-changing relationship with him. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You've never said yes to him. Perhaps you've said yes in the past and for whatever reason you've gotten away from him. Today, you can renew that relationship. If you've never said yes to Christ or you need to come back to him, we're going to say a prayer in a minute. We're not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way. But if you're here today and you're saying, I want to know who I am. I want to give God a chance. I want to invite Christ into my life and find out who I really am. If you want in on that prayer, then just right now, simply raise your hand and say, Philip, include me in that prayer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. See that hand. Yes. All right. All right. Anybody else? All right. I see that hand. All right. We're all going to pray this prayer together. Church family, let's pray this out loud. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.